Midwife Calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we're taking each episode of Call the Midwife one by one, spoiler-free. I can't remember what else I say here. Do I say something else? <laughs> no. Talk about them. Oh yeah, I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the fifth episode of season one of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Harriet Warner and directed by Jamie Payne. Uh, Jamie Payne has directed, will direct episode four, five, and six, the back half of this season. And he's directed a handful of other things, including uh, a couple of episodes of Bletchley Circle, Doctor Who, and uh, Outlander. And Harriet Warner has written... English shows that I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. (laughs) And a bunch more Call the Midwife yet to come. Right. In the future. All right. This is the first one she's written for this. I mean, this is the first one she's written, though. We start this episode off with our Mature Jenny narration. Mature Jenny narrates about how we take health for granted as we see Peggy, the Nanatus cleaner, walk to work, bringing her brother Frank his lunch and thermos. Frank teaches his apprentice how to buy fish, meeting a pregnant Elsie along the way. Peggy scrubs the floors and talks to Jenny about her brother's illness. Fred has a new pig, which makes another mess for Peggy to clean. Jimmy arrives again, showing Jenny his new old car. Frank picks up Peggy at Nanata's house and finds her having a hard time stopping her scrubbing. Elsie arrives at the clinic, and Trixie has a hard time because of the smell of the eels on her. (laughs) Sister Bernadette informs Fred that his new pig is pregnant. Frank and Peggy sit outside their home, trying to relax, but Frank is clearly sick and collapses in the garden. The nurses arrive and convince Frank to go to the hospital. So they're like... Maybe by the time this episode of Poplar Opinion comes out, this will all be in the rearview mirror. But as we are recording it, uh, Peg, I mean, Jenny starts off being like, health is God's greatest gift, and we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Yep. And I'm just like, you do not even know the half of it, Jenny, except she totally does. But yep. like, if, and it can be taken away from you, and you're like... The whole world has is recognizing that at this moment yes. in the real, in our timeline. <laughs> yep, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I like that we saw Peggy in at least one previous episode, maybe more. So we already knew who she was, and here we see her her story. Yeah, that's something. By the way, that watching through Call the Midwife, I've watched individual episodes more than once but like watching through from the beginning again this Mm -hmm. is my basically second time watching it from the beginning uh and i'm noticing how good this show is at just placing people into the world who are gonna come up later yeah exactly so peggy is that there's other stuff in seasons to come but uh 
and yeah they do a really good job of just like last episode peggy was just there mm-hmm. so that now we recognize her and she's like it, it yeah it wasn't like a big seed of bum 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 something's gonna happen with her yeah yeah uh so peggy and frank just to start off with their whole story is in uh jenny lee's second book which is entitled Shadows of the Workhouse. Hmm. Uh, she goes into great detail, taking some some fictional license because she's in their heads, pretty much. She's in Frank and Peggy's heads as, they, as she tells their story. So I don't know how much of it she knew and how much of it she extrapolated, but it is a fascinating read. Uh, well, I'll go into it a little more later, but I'm going to just bring up several times the real story of Frank and Peggy. Mm-hmm. But this follows it pretty closely. Well, I want to hear about it as it comes. Um, As I was just... As uh, Peggy is scrubbing the floor and the pig comes walking through, I'm like, that's a really funny moment, but it also is like, the pig makes all this mud all over the floor, and Jenny's like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's easy for you to say. Don't worry, Peggy. It's like dust. If you don't notice it, you'd stop noticing it. Like, Jenny, you know that her job here is cleaning the floor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, shut up. (laughs) Do you shut up? (laughs) It it is, it's good to see that, like, that, like, they can be insufferable, all of them, every character. It's not like they're all perfect and all, like, recognizing other people's what other people are doing and there's no way that jenny lee could know how this dirt is affecting peggy emotionally is because she what used to scrub at a workhouse where she wasn't allowed to stop and where it was just constant scrubbing that uh it's very emotional for her to like she's gonna have to do it over again and when frank arrives she's berating herself yeah she's saying i tried i tried tried, i'm sorry yeah i did my best and frank has to just like no you're done with that you don't have to keep scrubbing we can just go home right now and it's fine yeah you're not in trouble yeah that's quite it like it really is quite a a moment when she just like gets up and leaves it Mm -hmm. and to know that like that's okay yeah exactly And and you see from that very first moment well, no, that's, that's not even the first moment. But uh, from the, the first moment you see is Frank dependent on Peggy to bring him her yes. his lunch. Yeah. He's forgotten his lunch and she brings it to him. And then the second moment you see Peggy dependent on Frank for him to come and rescue her from her own head. Where true. she's stuck for... And uh, so you're seeing this interdependency on each other. And... And so when he collapses and her extreme distress, it all, you know, it's, it's very concise storytelling that yeah. you've seen exactly their relationship. how much they depend exactly, on each other. Exactly, very quickly. Yep, very true. Um, do you want to talk about the pig a little bit? Sure. Uh, what about the pig? It's just another, I mean, 
I said, do you want to talk about the pig a little mm-hmm. bit? And then I said, maybe not, because there's more to say <laughs> later on. Yeah. But, but, like, it is yet another of Fred and his schemes. Mm-hmm. And the, like, I feel like the, uh, maybe the pregnancy of the pig is not obvious from the first moment you see the pig. But the Fred is not going to be able to slaughter this pig for bacon. It's like the first second it walks in, you're like, there is no way Fred's going to be able to slaughter a pig. I know, right? (laughs) Like, in a million years. No. (laughs) Like, this is... Fred really thinks he lives in the country, or Fred wants to live in the country. He does. He lives right smack in the middle of London, but he keeps, like, he gets the quails, he's getting the pig, like, he just really would like a little taste of the country right in the middle of the city and it's just not working out for him and it never will (laughs) i like sister bernadette being like you know they don't drop bacon like eggs (laughs) yeah exactly um do you want to talk about jimmy and his car yeah well jimmy shows up with this car that looks like it's from the 20s and of course this is the 50s yeah and he's going to fix it up or whatever. And, uh, I mean, Jimmy throughout this episode is just trying his hardest. He is. And he's not going to succeed. No. He is doing everything he can to impress Jenny. He he just doesn't know what it'll take. You know, and so this is his latest scheme of like, I'm going to fix up a car and drive you somewhere and drive a bunch of friends somewhere. And Jimmy with it's... the car to impress Jenny is like Fred with the pig to make money. It's like he's barking yeah. up the wrong tree. He always has a new scheme. Yeah, And exactly. they're never going to work out. I feel like the car itself is symbolic of Jimmy. Mm. Uh, it's not what Jenny wants. Yeah. And he drives it up and says, I'm going to spruce it up. I'm going to make it. You're going to fall in love with it every time you see it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, but it's not what she wants. Exactly. And her first time she sees it, she's like, I don't want this car. Yeah. Sure, it's nice, but I don't want it or you. Womp <laughs> <laughs> The third plot we have in this, in this episode is Elsie and the eels. This isn't a very strong plot. It's just that... She's a fish seller, and she, her and her husband both smell like fish, so they don't notice it. But Trixie has a lot of trouble with fish, and we get this establishment in the clinic that she's, like, trying yeah. to be okay with it. But it's specifically fish she's has it's trouble. interesting, because we've had a couple of times before Jenny coping with disgust. Mm-hmm. And here we have Trixie coping with disgust in a different way. And we have, I mean, we haven't gotten to it yet, but we have Jenny also coping with disgust in a different context in this episode yeah um and it's yeah it is interesting and kind of we have i don't know if disgusting is exactly the right word but we Mm -hmm. have uh chummy being like uncomfortable with immediately in this scene dr turner is like why don't you teach the contraceptive thing right yeah that's going to continue through the episode but like even in this scene she's like i am not comfortable with this yeah exactly exactly (laughs) that by the way the contraceptive why don't you teach the contraceptive uh clinic the netflix version the Netflix, Netflix cut of this episode cuts that whole subplot completely. Really? So all that stuff starting here 
the scene in the clinic starts with Elsie and hmm. uh, and doesn't have Dr. Turner in it at all. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's a major cut through the whole episode. I watched this episode accidentally. I don't know what was... I just forgot that the Netflix version <laughs> is different. So I watched it all on Netflix and then remembered and watched it again on the DVD player. So I found... I did it in that order and found like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that yeah. was missing. Yeah. So you missed the thing I'm going to recap next, which is Chummy and her uh, fake penis. Yes. <laughs> one oh, one more thing before we leave this part is yeah. just a Monica Joanism that I don't know what to big find big meaning in, but Monica Joan says, Cats look down on us. Dogs look up to us. Pigs treat us as equals. <laughs> and Fred and Sister Angelina both look at her the way that I would look at her with like... What? what? <laughs> I don't think she's wrong. I don't think she's wrong. No, I don't think she Pigs... made that up either. Yeah. I think that's something that is a saying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty great. But it's like... She's she's full of Monica Jonas in this she episode. Is. Yeah, exactly. So moving on, Chummy has been tasked by Dr. Turner to deliver a contraceptive clinic, showing a group of moms how to put a condom on a wooden penis. She has a lot of difficulty at first, but then commands the room. Constable Noakes comes to invite her for tea with his mother afterwards. Dr. Turner comes to inform Peggy that Frank has cancer and that he needs radium treatments. Peggy says that she'll care for him at home. Jenny gets a phone call from Gerald, the man she's in love with. Frank continues to get worse, and Peggy and him both know that he'll die, but refuse to tell each other. Jenny is shocked to discover that they share a bed. When she tries to tell Sister Julianne later, she refuses to discuss it. Jenny talks about it with the other nurses, and Sister Evangelina ends up telling them off, explaining what the workhouse was. So we'll talk a bit about Chummy, and then I really want to get into the workhouse aspect. Yeah. So you mentioned that Netflix cuts this whole scene. I feel like that's like puritanical even i'm not sure but it feels puritanical <laughs> that like you're cutting the wooden penis scene cut the penis scene now i have a question for you did you in health class in high school have a wooden penis that had a condom put on it no did you have any condom instruction at all in high school only verbal huh no demonstration we 100 percent had the wooden penis and the condom going on it and it was like horrifying <laughs> But totally necessary. I think that our school had some pretty decent sex education for the 90s. We had like, very. we had the kind of uh, stereotype sitcom of like the phys ed teacher Ugh. uncomfortably like giving a truncated version of sex ed. Wow. All right. The gym teacher who, gym like, teacher. Would, okay, now let's all go run the lap instead. <laughs> you know, like, not quite, but clearly he would rather be, like, getting us to throw balls at each other than talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> the older I get, the more I'm like, I had actually had some decent education in in my high school. Like, we had a whole thing on all kinds of contraception, so I'm happy that I got that. I'm, I realize now how many people don't get that in high school. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting in this scene that the uh, woman who is like causing all the trouble and uh, making all the jokes, like when Chummy finally takes kind of pay attention to me, mm-hmm. she's like, well, but it's against God. Yeah. Like she's not making all these jokes just because like they they connect, the show connects the like disruptive jokester with like, she doesn't take contraception seriously because she thinks it's against God. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's She's, uh, and earlier, Dr. Turner, when he's telling Chummy to do this, that, like, you need to convince them that God belongs in the church, not the bedroom. Yeah. And, you know, these women need to stop having babies, basically. Yeah. But Dr. Turner says, I'm not asking you to start a revolution, but if you do, I won't be upset. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Dr. Turner, in a lot of ways in this show, represents, like, uh, secularism. Mm-hmm. So we have, like, these mm-hmm. really religious nuns, and we have the midwives, who some of them are religious, some of them aren't. But then you really have Dr. Turner, you have Dr. Turner being on the side of, like, a secular humanist approach to this, and, like, please take God out of your bedroom so you can stop having babies and stop dying because you're having babies. And this is what Chummy brings up in her thing is like women dying from eclampsia and things like this and avoiding pregnancy is the way to help. Yeah. That's what finally gets their respect Mm -hmm. is like, she talks about difficult, painful and dangerous births that she's witnessed. Exactly. I know enough about that. Yeah. So you listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. Exactly. There is a bit of, I think, uh, heavy handed, (laughs) as there is sometimes, the discussion of the pill. And they're like, you know, we hear in America, there's a pill that you can take. And Trixie's all like, that's just Hollywood talk. But like, it's a little bit heavy, ham handed is the word I'm looking for. But it's something that's coming that's not far off in history is the introduction of the birth control pill. Yeah. So at this point you've got, you know, condoms that aren't very great and they have to be taught how to use them and other forms of birth control that are fairly, you know, non-perfect, but what's coming is just a pill. And that's like the revolution that these women are waiting for. Dr. Turner wants uh, Chummy to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when Doctor, when Constable Noakes comes, mm-hmm. the reason, the like excuse that he gives for being there is that there have been thefts in the area, and then a uh-huh. scene later, or like, yeah, we see Sister Monica Joan magpieing things away. We do. We see her, like putting things in her drawer. We see her stealing from someone's coat. Yeah, we see her take something so from someone's coat. So this is something that's going to be explored in the next episode. But like you were saying, like they seed things ahead of time. We know that Sister Monica Joan is is got light fingers. Mm-hmm. We've kind of seen... I don't know that we would have necessarily expected that she's the thief before, but we've seen like... It doesn't come as a surprise, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although it does come as a surprise. What are you doing, Sister I know, I know. Uh, And then, uh, Peggy listens to, after, um, Frank gets worse and, and etc., 
Peggy listens to the nuns singing Compline. Mm -hmm. And she says, we hear her say, and life everlasting. Mm -hmm. Which is the end of the Apostles' Creed. And more particularly is the end of the Apostles' Creed uh, as it is said with a rosary. Mm. Which suggests that Peggy might be Catholic. She's holding a rosary, isn't she, in that scene? It's not clear whether it's a rosary, okay. like, or just a, yeah. or just a cross, because I couldn't tell. Mm. Maybe if I'd stopped and paid closer attention. But she's saying the Apostles, the, the formula of the Apostles' Creed that goes with the rosary, and her, like, reciting the Apostles' Creed holding a cross really feels like a rosary. Mm. So I don't know what to make of that, if yeah. anything, but, like, it seems like Peggy's Catholic. That is interesting. Yeah. So... Peggy and Frank mm -hmm. came from the workhouse and Sister uh, Evangelina yells at the nurses and takes them to town yep. for for them not realizing what they came from. So I just want to get into uh, what the book says about the workhouse and about the Peggy and Frank's life, which is uh, Peggy and Frank lost their parents, they became orphans, and there was no one to take them in. And so what happened was they got sent to a workhouse where they were immediately, had their heads shaved. Peggy was like three years old at the time. Frank was seven. So they were both very young children. They were allowed to stay together for a year until Frank was old enough at eight to go off to the men's ward and work with the men. There's no one to take care of them as children. And the workhouse is essentially only different from a prison in semantics. Right. You don't leave. You don't get much. You're barely fed because taxes don't want to go to these workhouses, but they just want them to exist. Yeah. Um, the work that the workhouses did at first they would be like actual work that needed to get done making bricks making and then the people who uh the other manufacturers right. say well i can't make it as cheap as these workhouse people they can't do this real work that's running me out of business and so they start to give workhouse people fake work like pushing a millstone, a giant millstone around in a yard that's not grinding anything for hours and hours in a day so that they're doing work that means nothing. So that's the kind of work that Frank would have done. Peggy, as a woman, would have done scrubbing, cleaning the workhouse, cleaning after the men, cleaning after... Uh, they were separated when he was eight, and he finally got out of the workhouse and worked for years to free her. And so it wasn't until he was almost an adult that he was able to get her out. Right. So this is the backstory that Frank and Peggy come from. And this is Sister Evangelina says they were worse than dying. You talked, you said earlier this week uh, off mic something about that, about workhouses being worse than dying. Do you remember what you said? I don't remember I, what I said. <laughs> I could say it, but yeah. I wanted like, no, you say it, it I don't you, remember. That, like, it, they were worse than dying. By design, mm. because the idea was they want people to 
find some other option if they can. So they make them deliberately unpleasant. Yeah. It wasn't accidentally unpleasant, and it wasn't even unpleasant for the sake of saving money. It was deliberately unpleasant as a, like, means to motivate people into finding some other option. Yeah, exactly. If right. you're a bad kid, you'll go to the workhouse. So you it know? was like... If you're a bad Victorian, you're going to the workhouse. Yeah. So when Sister Evangeline says worse than dying, that's, like, not hyperbole, and it's not accidental. Mm-hmm. And then they shut down the workhouses. Great. That was a good good plan. But what happens to all the people that were in them? They're, they have PTSD. Is right. what they have before they knew how that what that meant and uh, and so that's where Peggy is with her scrubbing is she's got PTSD from the workhouse and no one has helped her through that except Frank who also has PTSD from the workhouse right so that's like so that's the backstory that's the backstory and it's important backstory mm-hmm. and I like that the backstory there what we get of it comes from Sister Evangelina. She's the right person for that to come from. What and then what? Like this, the the core plot of this show is about Peggy and Frank, and they're like brother and sister who are also husband and husband and wife. Yeah, and like I said, Jenny is disgusted. Sister Julianne and Sister Evangelina, like even that suffering taken into account they're like very very understanding yeah what do you think about that i think that they've known for so long right that they this they may have been shocked in the exact same way jenny was you know, 10 years ago when they found out kind of a thing. And they've come to realizations within themselves as to like, they didn't grow up as brother and sister. They, they, you know, they could justify it in their heads in all kinds of ways. But I do think that it is likely both of them had similar reactions to Jenny Mm -hmm. because you don't react that mad to someone's reaction when you didn't have it yourself. Or maybe you do. Or maybe you do. But, like, I feel like that is a thing. It feels like even... I mean, in the the book, does she talk about the, the nuns? The book is entirely their story from their perspective so no we don't see anyone's reaction this is quite a choice from the show to have the nuns be like this is a surprisingly gracious and generous of spirit Mm -hmm. here and I feel like it's another kind of mission statement of the show Mm -hmm. to have them be like because it is like I can't pretend that I'm not on Jenny's side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right? But the show kind of wants us or the show has this perspective of generosity of spirit that's like does it go too far? Hmm. I think that we are meant to see it through both Jenny's eyes and Sister Julianne's eyes of uh, yes, you're disgusted. Yes, the audience is certainly on Jenny's side, I would expect most. But 
there is a generosity of spirit and assumptions that like they're sharing a bed therefore they're having sex with each other although by the end of the episode she all but confirms that and says we were more than brother and sister we were more than husband and wife that's true that's true she does really confirm that so never mind and it's like i think uh kind of like what we saw talking about mary though from a different perspective that like the the show's perspective sister evangelina and sister julianne's perspective both is like it's not their uh it's not their goodness or their merit that earns compassion it's their suffering mm-hmm. like yeah, later on exactly. you, you haven't summarized it yet but later on jenny's gonna say like they're good people mm-hmm. but Je- but uh sister julianne and, si- and sister evangelina don't say they're good people yeah they say they've, they suffered. Say they've suffered yeah like it's suffering is what justifies and deserves compassion mm-hmm. they don't earn compassion by goodness yeah Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Is the that's the way the nuns see it. Yeah. Is they've suffered so much that they deserve compassion and forgiveness for this sinful and like immoral way that they're living. Yeah. Like and the Exactly. That's the whole argument from the nuns is entirely like how much they've suffered that's mm-hmm. the whole that's the entirety of the argument. Yeah. And Jenny says like because love I mean, she says, essentially, love is love. Yeah. That's not what Sister Julianne and Sister Evangelina say, though. No. It's interesting. It is interesting. Speaking of this section and Fred and Fred and Frank and Peggy, what do you think of the, like, them both uh, keeping it secret from each other that he's dying? Ugh. I think that's exactly them protecting each other yeah this is something that they they both take care of each other and so neither of them wants to tell the other one that they're dying that he's dying and i feel like this is such a a thing that happens this is not something that called the midwife is just made up this is often people who are dying especially who are very into like protecting their loved ones will keep it a secret Mm mm-hmm will be very private about it. I do also think, though, when it was like uh, Peggy saying, don't tell Frank that he is dying. I'm like, this is very, I understand, like, feelings and whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But what's the medical ethics of not telling someone that they're dying? Yeah, that is... I think that the the ethics are, are skirted around because they know he knows. The yeah. nurses know that Frank knows. The nurses know that Frank knows. They just don't want Peggy to know that Peggy, he, they know that Frank. he knows that they know. Exactly. <laughs> Peggy want they want to let Peggy believe that he doesn't know. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, I'll buy it. So that's I think where that's, I, feel uh, like... I think you're fudging, but I'll buy it. Because he, I, he's having the conversation with Tip in the garden, and Tip is like, "Well, you'll be back by then." He's like, "Yeah, he knows that he's not <laughs> going to be back by then." That's very true makes me think, I don't know whether, this definitely isn't something that happened to me, uh, 
it's something like i don't know whether it was an episode of er or like a reader's digest it was something <laughs> like one of these situations where like i heard a story of someone going to the hospital and they're the doctor they like i have trouble breathing and the doctor's like oh it's just uh flu or whatever and they burst into tears and the doctor was like what is going on and they said my uh mother came in and said she had uh, trouble breathing the doctor said it was just the flu and then he said to me later she has lung cancer and she'll be dead in a month but it'll just trouble her to tell it and the point of the story was doctors need to be honest all the time Mm -hmm. so i like they need to make sure that frank knows what's going on yeah they do (laughs) but i'll buy that okay fine they do yeah (laughs) They just don't let Peggy know that Frank knows. Yeah, I think of when my when my grandmother died, she had uh, uh, she had been ill and she had it turned out she had cancer, and she was too frail for them to do anything about it, and she didn't understand that. Hmm. She was like, "I'm sick. Why are they not doing right. something?" And she was kind of confused in her last days as well. But there's also a sense of that, of like, when someone is dying and cannot be helped, it can be difficult when, like, you just have to say, I'm sorry, we're not giving you chemo because chemo yeah. will kill you. You've seen other people have cancer and get treatment, but you're not eligible for that treatment. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, tricks, while they're having this conversation about, uh, while the nurses are having this conversation gossiping about Peggy and Frank, uh, Sister Evangelita, we see by the end of the scene, clearly can hear them. Yes. <laughs> and Trixie, when then... But so a little earlier in the conversation, Chubby's like, oh, what's the little porker doing? And Trixie's like, don't talk about Sister Evangelina that way. Yeah. Like, rude. Rude. And it turns out that Fred named the pig Evie. <laughs> and, and and Chubby's like, isn't that a little on the nose? And at first I was like, I didn't get it. And then I realized that, oh, Evie is short for Evangelina. <laughs> like, come on. They're really everybody. mean. <laughs> They're really Although, I mean, she's also really mean to them sometimes. She is. So, but no, I, she does not deserve that. She does not deserve to have the pig named after her and to be referenced as a porker as a by porker. Trixie. Like, come on, Trixie. Yeah. It's it's Rude. downright mean. And that's, you know, it's before Sister Evangelina yells at them and she yells at them about that, but she's also but like... Maybe she's like, she... it adds a little bit to her anger. Yeah. Like, she throws, she starts by throwing a like, what's she doing? Peeling apples. Peeling yeah, something. potatoes, I think. Peeling potatoes. She throws something at Trixie specifically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trixie, Trixie deserves it. called her a porker, so she throws something at her. Yep. Um, do you want to talk about Gerald? Oh, yes. Gerald calls. Which, like... I don't know. I don't have... Honestly, I don't have a lot of patience for this plot. Yeah, I agree. I find it just like, okay, Jenny, whatever. You had someone you were in love with, and he calls, and like... Hang up on him. She does he's, hang up on she him. She does hang up on him. Like, she's married. He's he's married. Yeah. Do we have... We don't oh, quite do have that, that spelled out. Although we do in this 
episode have he was everything to me but mine. Yeah. So I guess it would be the next episode. And there were hints in the last episode too. Yeah. I think I think we can have figured out by now that he's married. Yeah. And like I don't know. If he can't I don't think he should be calling her. No, I'm irritated with him. I'm mad at him for calling her, and I'm mad at her for mooning over him. Yeah, I agree. And I don't want her to end up with Jimmy, but I want her to like. I my note on this is just, oh Jenny, get over him and yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It feels like she's just so. I don't know whether it's the way that it's being portrayed, but it's just. Nobody has ever loved as I have. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit over the top. Part of the like. Part of what she's learning in these first six episodes is that. Yes, that is also true. That is also true. So moving on to our last part. Jimmy arrives with his car all fixed up and takes Jenny, Cynthia, and Trixie out of town to a house with a pool and a group of friends. Jenny is upset about the workhouse, but Jimmy is insensitive. They all swim in the pool and Jenny has an asthma attack. Chummy helps Fred steal a bit of cake for his pig and continues to stress about meeting Constable Noakes' mother. Jenny struggles with her lack of feelings for Jimmy. Sister Monica Joan gifts Chummy with beautiful silk to make a dress. She makes a dress with the approval of Trixie, but then spoils it by helping Fred deliver the piglets. (laughs) Constable Noakes arrives and helps out. Trixie goes to deliver Elsie's baby in the same space as all the eels, conquering her revulsion over the smell. Frank dies, and Peggy wants to stay with him overnight before the undertaker is called. Jenny agrees, but doesn't realize that she's left the morphine behind. When they go to get Frank's body, Peggy's is beside it, dead as well. Back at Nanata's house, Jimmy comforts her and tells him he's falling in love with her, but Jenny cannot love him back. Mature Jenny narrates about how Peggy made things beautiful, and her and Frank made the world better, and that love is worth searching for. So let's talk about the lighter things before the heavier things. So let's, like, first of all, jeez, Jimmy is a dickhead. (laughs) Wow! Wow! All right then. Okay, well, okay. Before we get to that, what's the deal with them leaving the East End in this episode? Like, this is unusual, hey? It is very unusual. We don't see that a lot. But they do get time off, and so this is a chance for them to get time off. We do occasionally see them, like, go to a dance or go to a show or sometimes, like, leave the country entirely. And go, um, when... Mary was uh, sent off to like right. a mothering home that was in Kent, and so she went up to Kent to visit her. But we don't usually see this kind of like yeah, flitting off for a day, flitting off for a day, posh, free spirit, like swimming in their underpants. Yeah, like, it's a very different world. It is. It's very unusual to for this scene, but it shows. I mean, I like it because it shows them outside of that world it shows that they can exist as like just you need scenes like this with the nurses to show that they're not the nuns yeah that's true and that i think though one of the reasons this scene is here is it shows how this is the world that jenny came from Mm -hmm. that jimmy wants her to return to yeah she does not want to return to or 
is going to choose not to yes exactly return to and that's like i think it's important that this scene be so not the east end for that this yeah. is what jimmy represents yes exactly and then when she chooses not to marry jimmy or be in love with him or whatever mm-hmm. uh she's not only not choosing jimmy she's also not choosing swimming in a pool in her underpants yeah you know, like yeah absolutely absolutely and flip to the end of the episode but it's connected to this part at the beginning that she's like i need to choose my work and jimmy says these people and he puts his emphasis on the these Mm -hmm. it's like and this is where i come back to like jimmy i've said this to you when we weren't recording and i'll say it now that we are jimmy especially in this episode really reminds me of logan from gilmore girls (laughs) Who you hate. Who I hate. We used to, when we watched Gilmore Girls when it was airing, we used to, but every time his name came on the, the credits. credits, we would boo. <laughs> it's uh, true. You, you can feel free to like whoever you want, but I hate Logan and I hate Jimmy. I don't hate Jimmy. Like, he's like a light version, but he's all the, like, privilege that he doesn't see. Mm. And he was that from his first appearance. Yeah. This is him sleeping in their room and not recognizing that he's going to get in tr- her in trouble and not caring that he's going to get her in trouble. Yeah. And like sneaking into, he has a friend with a pool and he takes them all and it's lots of great fun, but it's like, he doesn't know the real world. Yeah, exactly. And all the things we've seen of Jenny in the first episodes of like, you think I don't know poverty. You think that I'm naive. Like, Jimmy does not know poverty. Yeah. Well, and Jimmy says when she mentions the workhouse, he was like, basically like, well, just bad people went there. People who were too poor. And by poor, I mean morally poor. This is where I, this is my punchline of of calling him names. Is that like, she's, I thought workhouses were the stuff of Dickens. And he says, you know, they fed people. Yeah. And she says, but it's a lottery of, birth and he says it's about being a good person yeah and you're like you jimmy are the worst person on this show yep <laughs> you're not that bad a person really but you're the worst person on the show yeah it's true it's true i mean actually no because first person in this episode there are people in this show who've been worse like yes. uh actually abusive and yep. etc predatory but he's the worst person in the episode yes and he's like this smug uh self-satisfied guy and then the like point the the for me the like core of the jimmy stuff happens in the pool when Mm -hmm. he's like you feel better i knew you would i know you better than you think you do and then she has an asthma attack and he does not know what's going on yeah i think part of the point of that is he does not know her yeah and he doesn't know her in ways that are really important. Yeah, exactly. And that's shown with the asthma attack, but it symbolizes, like, mm-hmm. her work matters to her. Yeah. I'm so not Team Jimmy. I'm not Team Gerald either. I'm Team Jenny's work. Yep, exactly. Um, I think it's interesting how, uh, when we're drawing parallels to other things, Cynthia goes and talks to Jenny, and in Cynthia's mind, it's like, there's this boy who loves you and would like marry you and give you a stable life. Why wouldn't you go for that? Mm-hmm. She's very uh, Charlotte from Pride and Prejudice. Charlotte yeah. Lucas. Yeah. Like, 
if you can have a chance at a stable life as a woman, take it. It doesn't matter if you're like perfectly in love with him. He loves you. He you loves could... you and he's in the present. He's in the present. Exactly. So I found that pretty interesting because I feel like Cynthia uh, has not had a man fall in love with her. And so to her... We definitely haven't seen it. We haven't, sure. haven't seen it. And just the way she is, we that you can. I feel like you can extrapolate that from her past. She's shy and doesn't want to go to dances and things. Mm-hmm. She's not really had that great, like, any kind of a love affair. And so she sees, like, well, if you've had a love affair with someone, like, just go marry them. That's what you do. It's the 50s, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I really like that parallel to Charlotte from mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice. I didn't see that, but... I think you're right. Yeah. I think that's a good comparison. All the... Between the three of them flitting off to go swimming in a pool, and all the nuns taking care of the pig... I know. Who's taking care of all the pregnant mothers? I know, right? Only Trixie. Only Trixie. (laughs) I mean, maybe this was the only birth that day. Whatever. I mean, it's clearly those things are happening at a different time, because Trixie was in the pool, and now she's... But, like... That's true. We see two times in this episode, like, they are all busy with something that like don't you have better things to do (laughs) it's true true. (laughs) like i'm all like much like hiding in a different context but much like hiding frank's death from him i'm like this is all very sweet with the pig but like come on yeah (laughs) don't you have better things to do with your time (laughs) sometimes no (laughs) so speaking of fred with the pig and chummy uh, Sister Monica Joan gives her the silk. So, like, this is another thing of, like, where did you get that silk? And she's just like, no <gasps> explanation where she magically got this silk. Yeah. So. We can put two and two together been... where she got it. She did not. Yeah. Well, let's just say she didn't spin it herself. Exactly. Uh, she says the shell must be broken before the bird can fly. Yes. That is, like, beautiful, frankly. Yeah, it is. It is. And I really like Chummy in this episode getting all ready and making a beautiful dress for herself. Yeah. But then having such a big heart that she can't help but just completely ruin it. I don't know. I mean, yes, I get it. I feel like, really, you were not needed, Chummy. No, she wasn't. I don't think she was. But... It also is an opportunity for Constable Noakes to... I can never remember. I don't remember his first name yet. Peter. Peter. Do we know it yet in the show? Yeah. I think so. Okay. For Peter to come and say... Trixie calls him Peter. Yes, she does. To come and join in. Yeah. And that is a pivotal moment for their relationship. Very that true. He's, that he's not like... Your dress is ugly and your dress is spoiled and you can no longer meet my mother. He's like, well, where can I pitch in? And he rolls up his sleeves and he tells Fred it's going to be okay. And he's like, this is, they are so smitten. Yeah. They are so smitten with each other that nothing could it is sully it. It's very sweet. Very sweet. And that like, I said, you know, you were not needed here in the mud but, like, that's what Constable Noakes loves her for. Exactly. Exactly. So, as, like, part of... If it's part of 
their story, it makes sense. If it's part of the pig story, mm-hmm. she isn't needed in the pig story. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> or for it's... for the pig's sake. The other thing about the pig story is the pig is giving birth to dead piglets. Yeah. It's like, it's another little sadness, is yeah. what Chummy says. And so it's, it's not just like, oh, this pig is giving birth and that's, you know, what pigs do all the time. It's that this pig is not doing so well. And so it's kind of this all hands on deck because this poor Fred and his pig, and he doesn't know how to handle the pig. And yeah. he doesn't know how to handle the fact that all the piglets are dead. And so... I, it's, it's this interesting, yeah. like, it. I said all the midwives or all the nuns and chummy <laughs> are <laughs> delivering these piglets and, like, don't they have something better to do? I like, though, that the show... I think the show walks a nice line Mm -hmm. of like we do not try to present this as if it is an equal tragedy to stillborn yeah yeah exactly at all yeah like not even close to it Mm -hmm. but we do show that like fred cares about it and they care about fred Mm -hmm. and they haven't especially sister evangelina hasn't necessarily shown that she cares about fred Mm -hmm. uh and Sister Evangelina shows that she cares about people when the rubber meets the road. Yeah, exactly. And this exactly. is in her character all the way through and continues to be. Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, Fred needs her, so she's there. Yeah. Fred needs her, so Chummy's there. Mm-hmm. It's not about the pig. Yeah. This little subplot of Trixie and Elsie and delivering her baby in the fish thing is like it's good and all i feel like that plot really lifts right out and i feel like the only reason they have it in is this is the only baby that's born yeah this episode yeah. it's kind of it shows more of trixie's character that despite the fact that she really hates fish she still is fine to deliver a baby that the yeah. woman is like if it would have been chickens i would have been just as bad as you there's just not much to that story i agree besides that, a little bit of character development a for little trixie. bit of disgust and a little bit of the like Trixie has been mean to Sister Evangelina and judgmental, and uh, this is a, a rounding mm. and softening of her character. Yeah. That, like, without this, Trixie has yeah, not been mean very likable yet. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> really. It's true. She's kind of just been a gossip and uh, judgmental. Yeah, it's true. And then here we have her, like, there's nowhere she would like to be less mm-hmm. than in a shed full of drying eels and i enjoy a uh an eaten fish as much as anyone in the world but like a shed full of drying eels does not sound appealing to me either no especially to give birth in oh no when 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 the husbander is like do do you want some tea or kippers are you hungry it's just like oh no, thank no, you. I'm good. <laughs> but I agree with you. It basically is a pointless or a light, very light subplot. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into the heavy bit. Let's get into Freggy. Freggy? That's <laughs> my portmanteau for them. Frank and Peggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank, uh, I didn't mention earlier didn't want to go to a hospital because it's yep. too much like an institution. Any it is ki- an institution, Yeah, it right? is an institution. Any kind of sleeping away from his home, he has earned his freedom. He does not want to go back. And so they want him to and go to the hospital and he refused. Exactly. 
that like it's not just that he doesn't like hospitals mm-hmm. and he can only do it with peggy at his side mm-hmm. and he can only continue to go to the hospital and get treatments if peggy is also taking care of him at home mm-hmm. so it's this like serious interdependence and the serious like it both shows how they're dependent on each other and it's just another small way of showing how lasting the trauma of the workhouse is yeah exactly that, like maybe he would have like dr turner says uh speed of treatment he maybe could have he maybe will get better with speed of treatment mm-hmm. and no one says it that we can like maybe if he'd gotten treatment earlier he would have yeah it would exactly. have been successful and maybe he would have gotten treatment earlier if he had gone to the hospital earlier which he would have done if he hadn't being traumatized by the workhouse yeah so, like exactly. this is still the damage of the workhouse mm-hmm. and that's why they genuinely named her book the shadow of the workhouse because it's this shadow extends way over past the time when they closed yeah to these people until their dying day mm-hmm. and uh jenny as as frank is dying Jenny, mature Jenny, narrates a dying person needs to have someone with them to hold their hand. Mm-hmm. And like... This is a glimpse again to Jenny will eventually go into end-of-life care. Mm-hmm. And so this is, we're kind of tracking this along as we go. She's already, She's like already drawn to it mm-hmm. and understands something about it. Yeah. We have a dying person needs someone with them to hold their hand. And then we have uh, later, if you weren't paying attention, Peggy lies down and takes his hand. Mm-hmm. So she has someone with her to hold her hand. Yeah. It was, I think the first time I watched this, Peggy killing herself was very shocking. Mm-hmm. I did not see it coming, even though I could have seen it coming. I did not see it coming. Even though I'm... on a second or a third watch, there are a lot of clues. Yeah, exactly. The way that she's talking to Jenny when Jenny leaves of like, Tip can have this. Yeah. Like, well, it's just like uh, Frank being like, Tip, here's how you do it. And mm-hmm. Tip being like, but you'll be back by then. It's the same like, Tip can have this ascot. Yeah. But you can tell him that. But she, she te- and don't send the Undertaker until morning. Yeah. And then, like... That also, in the book they describe, is, like, that wasn't uncommon. Like, that's not... Like, to us in the modern days, like, you are leaving her alone with a dead body overnight? But that... It wasn't uncommon for the family to clean and shroud yeah. a body. So it wouldn't have been that unusual. But it still should have, like, in retrospect... You can see the signs. Of... You can see the signs. I can understand the like. I remember when, or when James died, going to mm. into the room with his body. I'm like, you think that dead bodies are uncanny and 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 scary scary or gross or or but it's still the person that you loved mm-hmm. 
It felt it was different than I thought it would be. Hmm. Yeah. I've never experienced that, so I don't know. But yeah. Like I would have, a year ago, I would have been like, she like crawls into a bed with his corpse, like, ooh, makes my skin crawl. But like now I kind of see it. Hmm. It's a really sad ending. What she's reading to him, she reads to Mm -hmm. him. Do you know what she reads? What does she read? From Oliver Twist. Hmm. So workhouses are from Dickens. She reads Dickens. she's reading him Dickens. Because that's still... I I mean, it's maybe a little on the nose. Mm -hmm. But it's like, because that's still the world that they're in. Mm -hmm. And not just Peggy and Frank. Like, that's still the world that this world is. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to an earlier thing that you mentioned is cut out from the Netflix version, uh, earlier off mic. Uh, there is a moment in, uh, in Nanata's house when Peggy is cleaning Mm -hmm. after she's gotten the news from Frank, but before he dies and the radio is playing and it's like a speech that's saying, you go to the country, you go to the, and you see that people are better off. And it's, uh, that's a, you know, rough approximation of what's being said. Right. It, what it is, is a speech that was by Prime Minister Harold Macmillan in the 50s, who, uh, and it was called, it was never had it so good. Right. And it was a whole speech about how Britons have never had it so good. If you go and look at how the Britons are doing, they're they're thriving and they're employed and everything is getting so much better because since World War II, things have been improving. And it was true, but it's also this, like, it's a distinct juxtaposition. There's a reason that this is playing in the background. all speeches in the world. It's not just for historical context. It partly is because of historical context, but it mostly is to have Peggy, who still has this workhouse life behind her and still in her, to have someone saying, oh, Britons, you've never had it so good. Well, I've certainly... I have it good now, but that doesn't erase yeah. The trauma of the past. And she's currently scrubbing a window. And she's currently scrubbing a and window, like, exactly. There's a, there's a symbolism not only in that we're seeing her work, but also in that, like, she's cleaning something. Yeah. And so is he. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jenny is wrong. If you ignore the dust, it doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's still there. It's still there. One of the things um, that doesn't really have anything to do with this episode, just another thing about the workhouse that really hit me rereading it this past week was uh, they were open during World War One, and so men from the workhouse were basically sent from prison to the trenches of France to die for their country, their country who treated them like garbage then just sent them to go and defend that country and die in France and that really stuck with me and it might be all in the past but 
traumas like this and traumas that exist in Canada, in the States, in Britain still, they, they're not that far in the past. No. Just because it was, just because things were 50 years ago, just because things were 100 years ago, does not mean that that trauma does not still affect people's daily lives. Yeah. And that's yeah. something to just remember that everyone, everyone benefits or everyone is traumatized by the things that happened in the past. Hmm. And you might be a beneficiary and you might be a traumatized victim, but you're one or the other of the systemic problems of the world. Bummer. On that bummer note, <laughs> I'm gonna just like can we uh, <laughs> shift before we wrap up to some uh. odds and ends of lightness, which is the crossword puzzle oh. that uh, Sister Julianne gives Frank. She says the clue is two words. Two words: a clock through the air. So that's time flies. <laughs> so good to know. Solved it. Solved it. You're a crossword <laughs> genius. <laughs> Just have to say that. And then he uses the crossword to write, like, I love you and will always be yeah, with you to her. exactly. Which isn't so much the lighter, but it is, like... It's really sweet. It is sweet. What was your favorite part of this episode? Oh, I'm <laughs> gonna have to go with the lighter things mm-hmm. of the episode. And I'm going to have to say that... Uh, Although it was rude, Trixie calling Sister Angelina porker and then Sister <laughs> Angelina throwing a potato at her. I think that was my favorite moment, my favorite exchange. Yeah, I, I think I gotta say that my, my favorite was Sister Angelina like telling them all off. Yeah. It was like, that moment was very, very good. I think it was, they deserved it and she... Yeah, she explained things well, and I just think that that was a well done, well done uh, moment. Yeah. So, that is episode five. We have one more episode left in the season. This was just a short little six episode season. So next, next week... season's longer. Yep. So next week, we will be talking about episode six. Something we're going to be doing in this podcast is uh, airing... Between seasons, little mini-sodes with people's birth stories. And so if you have given birth and would like to share with us your story, whether it's dramatic or run-of-the-mill or whether it's an adoption story, we would love to hear it. And you can either uh, send us a sound file of you saying it or you can send us written and I will read it. We'll start with me. I'll tell one of my birth stories. And if you'd like yours to be included, please let us know. How would they do that, Paul? You can send it to us by email to poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can also, I don't think you could send us the birth story this way, at least not easily, but you can also contact us for smaller reasons or to say that you would like to share a story with us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. 
Absolutely. And if you have any other comments or thoughts about Call the Midwife, you can contact us those ways as well. If you like what we do and would like to support us in this endeavor and other ones that we do, uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.